Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Well, uh, good morning, Church 214. Um, if you're a guest here this morning, I just want to especially welcome you. Uh, we're just so thankful that you chose to, to spend your Sunday with us and to lift up one name together. It is all about Jesus. Uh, well, we're uh, in our series, Believe. By the way, my name is Isaac Schaefer. Um, I'm a member of our leadership team here. I'm also a member of our teaching team, uh, which means that I have the privilege and the responsibility of bringing you God's word this morning. So I pray that it blesses you. Uh, but as I said, we're in uh, our series called Believe. This is our second week. And uh, last week, Heather preached about our identity in Jesus. And she posed the question that maybe we have a belief problem because we have an identity problem. Uh, and that was just so powerful. And I, I encourage you to go back onto our podcast on our website. Listen to that message. I guarantee you that it will both encourage you and challenge you. Um, so I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to get started. King Jesus, you are the name that we lift high. God, on the altar of our praise, let let there be no other name than Jesus. It is always and only about you, Jesus. Your name makes the darkness tremble. So Jesus, this morning, I pray that you would empower my words. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fall on this place, break down every wall that this week or this year or this month has put barriers around our hearts. Break them down so that your spirit and your light can penetrate into the darkest places. God, so that your glory can shine through. God, I pray that as you promised, that as your word goes out, that it would accomplish what you have set it out to do. And we believe that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, we're uh, in our series Believe, and we're actually focusing on the book of John because uh, the major theme of John really is belief. Most scholars, and Heather uh, touched on this last week, believe that the central theme and the reason behind John's account of the gospel is so that you would read the works of Jesus and that you would believe that he was the Christ, the Messiah. The Son of God. He says, John says it himself in chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so John's purpose in writing his account of the life and works of Jesus was so that you can read those, you may believe. That anyone who reads them would believe. That includes you sitting here in Church 214 or listening on the podcast in the year 2018 so that you would read it and that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that you may have life in his name. Another thing that I want to point out really quickly is that John says that he wrote about the signs and wonders that Jesus did not because of the signs and wonders and the miracles but to point to Jesus. It's always about Jesus. Always. It's not about the miracles, it's about the miracle worker. It's always and only about Jesus. 
And so if we're talking about belief, we need to understand what belief actually is. So the Webster uh, Dictionary uh, defines belief as to consider or accept something to be true, accepting word or evidence of something or someone, or to hold an opinion. But what, what does it mean to believe? So that's the Webster's definition of believe. What, what does it mean to believe? What does it look like? And so I've come up with my own definition of believe that can hopefully help us understand what believe really means and what it looks like. So this is my definition. It is yielding to something that I now regard as superior, as of higher importance, or greater value to what I once knew or experienced. It is yielding to something that I now regard as superior, as of higher importance, or greater value to what I once knew or experienced. You see, and I use yielding here very intentionally because if you are yielding to something, then you are allowing it to change you. You're allowing it to change your perspective. You're allowing it to control you or to dominate you. And this is extremely important because it very plainly shows that what we believe matters. If you are believing something, then you are yielding to it. You are allowing it to control you. What we believe matters. Heather broke down this passage last week of of the story of Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus has died and uh, Mary is having some problems with belief. And Jesus says, Mary, didn't I tell you? That if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And I would say that the glory, seeing the glory of God matters. What you believe matters. Now something else I want to point out. Jesus didn't say, if you believe, then you'll see God's glory. When he said that, he didn't mean that your belief then produces your reality. He doesn't mean that your belief in itself has intrinsic power. Let me give you an example. Say I have cancer, which I don't that I know of, thankfully but I know some of you have. Say I have cancer and I don't want cancer anymore. I can believe all day long that I don't have cancer, but it does not magically produce a cancer-free body. Say I want to win the lottery, and I can believe all day long that I won the lottery and that I now have $1.6 billion or whatever it was, a lot less than that after taxes because I'm taking a lump sum on that mug. So I can believe all day long that I won the lottery, but my belief that I won the lottery does not magically change my bank account from a lot less than 1.6 billion to now 1.6 billion and change. Right? My, my belief does not produce my reality. It does not have that power. That is mystic, vague spirituality, and it is not biblical. However, if I have cancer... And I believe that my heavenly father knit me together in my mother's womb. And if I believe that every breath that I take is because he gives it to me, and I believe that he is a good God who gives good gifts to his children, and I believe that he can heal me of my cancer, then God can use my belief to display his glory and to make much of himself. That is the power of my belief. Through my belief, I see the glory of God. Does that make sense? And so if you are believing in God, if you are regarding his character and his faithfulness and his goodness as superior, as of supreme importance, as of greatest value, then you will begin to see God's glory more. Let's go back to the cancer example. Say you have cancer and you believe that God can heal you and you ask for a miracle and God uses your belief to make much of who he is and display his powerful love for you and miraculously heals you. Praise Jesus, right? 
Who's thankful this morning that God still does supernatural miracles? Amen. God still works like that. Say I have cancer or you have cancer. And you're asking God and you're believing for miraculous healing, but your scans still show that you have cancer. And so you're going through treatment, surgery, chemo, radiation, whatever it may be. And you finish your treatment and several months later you have your first follow-up with your oncologist and you hear the words, cancer free. Praise Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your healing touch. Now wait a second, Ike. There was no miracle there. Medicine healed you. Believe me, I am biased towards modern medicine. I, I have devoted my life to medicine. But I believe that it was Jesus healing me or healing you through the medicine. I believe that if God wanted to call me home, if that cancer was my ticket out of this broken earth and into heaven, then no amount of treatment, no amount of modern medicine would have done any good for me. And so since God still apparently has some work for me to do on this earth, he used that to display his glory and he healed me and I will praise him and I will revel with joy in his goodness to me. You see, your belief gives God the opportunity to perform supernatural miracles. Be glorified. But our belief also begins to alter our perception. The Bible calls it renewing your mind. Our belief begins to alter our perspective so that where other people see happenstance or good fortune or plausible outcomes, you see the truth. You yield to what is supreme. You yield to what is most important. You yield to the truths and the reality of who God is and who you are in Christ. You yield to them. You are allowing that belief to change you, to renew your mind. See, our belief in itself doesn't have power, but God gave us powerful minds. And what happens is your belief in something begins to establish patterns of thinking. And those patterns of thinking will begin to change your perception of reality. You see, when you believe in God, when you believe in who he is, when you believe in his goodness and his faithfulness to you, when you believe that he relentlessly pursues you, when you believe in Romans 8.28 where it says that he does all things for the good of those who love him, then by the very nature of your belief, you should see things differently. If I yield to the truths and the reality of who God is and who I am in Christ, then I no longer see my life or my situation through fallen or broken lenses, through human physical eyes. I see them through the eyes of my Savior and my King who loves me, who desperately and ferociously pursues me, who disciplines me, who delights in me, who is sanctifying me and who loves to bless me. You see, in my belief, what used to be coincidence, now that my mind has been renewed by my belief, I now see providence. What used to be luck is now grace. What used to be hardship and struggle and pain is now his refining fire. It's his guiding hand. What used to be aesthetically beautiful through my change in perspective is now his glorious creation. What used to be that marriage that was broken, that marriage that was now restored, was not because you worked it out. That was the redemptive power of the cross. That diagnosis that was reversed was not because of good medicine or good fortune. That was the healing hand of God. You see, if you believe, you should be seeing miracles. Yeah. 
If you believe in God, you should be seeing redemption. If you believe in God, you should be seeing His glory. If you believe, then God can use your belief to work supernatural miracles and make much of Himself. But it will also change your perspective to see the glory of God in the miraculous, but it will also change your perspective to see His glory in the mundane. When you believe, you will see his glory both in the miraculous and in the mundane. Chew on that for a second. The problem is that we often believe in the wrong things. We let things other than God and his truth occupy the seat of supremacy in our minds, in our hearts, and in our lives. We let other things control us. We are yielding to things that are not the truth of God or his character. So what lies are you placing over the truth of God's word in your life? There's no purpose in this pain. The situation is hopeless. My finances will never be rectified. That relationship is dead. It is done. It can never be revived. There's no purpose in this pain. There is no hope. I am not loved. I can never be forgiven. I am too far gone. There is no road back to Jesus. If this is what you believe, then you are choosing to yield to those things. You are placing those things as of greater importance, as of higher value than the truth of God, which says that you are loved which says that it is not hopeless. There is always hope. It says that dead things can be breathed back to life. It says that you are not beyond forgiveness. You are forgiven right now if you accept it. It says that you are loved. Or maybe you're placing other people's opinions or views of you or acceptance of you or praise of you in a higher place than you ought to. Heather touched on this last week. And Jesus uh, speaks this of the Pharisees in John chapter 5, verse 44. So I want you to turn there. We're going to start in verse 41, actually. And in this passage, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees about their belief in other people, but their disbelief in him. And so we're going to start in verse 41. Again, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. But if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Are you seeking glory from one another? Or are you seeking glory from God? Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of of God and his righteousness. Seek first the king and his kingdom. Do not seek other people's approval. Do not seek their opinions. Do not seek their praise. Do not seek their glory. Seek the glory of the only God. How can you believe in God when your attention is focused on something other than God? How can you believe in God when your, atten when your attention is focused on something other than God.
See, if we spend all of our time looking to other people, then we are setting our sights way too low. And our belief is not in the power and the goodness and the faithfulness of God. It's in fallen, broken people. And that is a recipe for deception and for disaster. You see, you will yield to what you regard as superior, as of highest importance, as of greatest value. What is in the seat of supremacy over the truth of God in your life? Now, since we are uh, studying belief, uh, I also have to mention faith because in, in the Greek language and in the scriptures, faith and belief are inseparable from one another. So uh, I'm just going to touch on this briefly. I'm going to go quick. So just write this stuff down. Come back to it for later study. I studied it for a month and I'm still not to the end of it. So I'm not going to cover it right now. So what is the relationship of belief and faith? So belief is the verbal form of faith, and faith is the noun form of belief. I know that, that, that this just turned into English class. I hated English in high school, but this stuff is cool, so stick with me. I, hate, I was good at it, but I hated it. <laughs> belief is the verbal form of faith, and faith is the noun form of believe. Believe is a verb. It's the action of faith. Faith is a noun. It's the substance. It's the possession of belief. There are different sides to the same coin. So how does uh, the, this relationship between faith and belief apply to our lives? Well, uh, there, here's kind of another definition that I want you to write down and come back to it. Faith and belief work in concert. They work together to grow our experiential knowledge of God. Now, that experiential knowledge is, is the Greek word gnosko. Michaela touched on that several weeks ago. Gnosko is the Greek word for an intimate or experiential knowledge of something or someone. So that's kind of what we're going for here. So faith and belief work together to grow our experiential knowledge of God, our reliance on him, and our joy in him. First, we need to understand that faith is not something that is earned, but it's in fact a gift from God given through the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, that this is referring to the faith in the previous sentence. Okay, so we're going to substitute that there. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and faith is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. Faith is a gift. And so what I want to do is I want to bring up a diagram that will hopefully clarify how faith and belief work together. Hopefully you can see that. It's kind of hard for me to see. But so uh, in this diagram, like I said, if, if faith is a gift from God, then we receive infusions of faith from the Spirit. Okay, so you receive an infusion of faith from the Spirit and you step out in bold obedience. The next words there say bold obedience. The next, so you, you step out in bold obedience, and in your bold obedience, you begin to see God work. And as you see God work, that in turn builds your belief. And as your belief builds in watching God work and in stepping out in obedience, it starts to build your experiential knowledge of who he is. And it builds your reliance on him, and it builds your joy in him. And as those things begin to build, your faith also builds. And so maybe this infusion of faith from the Spirit is big faith. Maybe it's little faith. Paul actually says in Romans 12, 3, that God gives all believers gifts of faith to varying degrees, some small, some large, some in the middle. 
So let's give some examples to, to see how this cycle works. So maybe it's something small like you're running late for work. Been there. And you know that in order to clock in on time, you need to have a good parking spot because the only spots that are left at like, you know, 7.59 are a mile away from the front door. And so God gives you, or the Holy Spirit gives you a small infusion of faith and you pray in faith, God, I need that parking spot right by the door or I'm screwed. (laughs) I've been late three times already this month, the fourth time, and it's a bad, bad deal. That's never happened to me. Um, And so you show up and, and lo and behold, there is a parking spot just for you right by the front door. You see, in your small infusion of faith, you prayed in faith and you watched God work and that in turn builds your belief. Let's do something else. Maybe God gives you a small infusion of faith to give the few dollars that you have in your wallet to the homeless man on the side of the road. And so you step out in bold obedience, you give him those few dollars and he just breaks down and thanks you for providing for his next meal. In your faith, you stepped out in bold obedience, you watched God work and that builds your belief. Or maybe parents, you can relate to this one. Maybe your child loses their precious teddy, and I think you know where this is going. (laughs) Your child loses teddy, and you know that bedtime is not going to go well without said teddy. And so in your need and your desperation, you pray in faith, God, we need teddy. (laughs) And so we need you. And so you pray in faith, and you tear the house apart, and teddy is nowhere and you get a little check in your spirit. Maybe, maybe Teddy got kicked under the seat in the car, and so you go to the car, and lo and behold, God led you to Teddy. And bedtime and your sanity is saved. Now, this may seem silly, but God gave you a small infusion of faith. And you stepped out in bold obedience of that faith, and you watched God work through you and in you and on your behalf. And in seeing God work through you that builds your belief in him, you begin to see how God works. You have an experiential knowledge of who God is and what he does in your life. And that builds your reliance on him and your joy in him. And as we mentioned before, as you see God work, that also changes your perspective of reality. You begin to see him even more. You see his glory. And as your belief builds, you continue to step out in faith because you know who your Savior is. You have seen him work before, and because of your experiences, you believe that he will work again. And so with greater belief, you step out in greater faith and watch God work greater things. And the cycle of faith and belief begins to build, and soon you find yourself with faith asking for and believing for a miracle of healing. And so you pray, and God heals you miraculously praise Jesus or maybe you pray and he doesn't heal you but because of your belief your mind has been renewed and your perspective changed and you say God gets the glory no matter what the outcome or maybe you or someone you love has a pretty massive financial burden and so when you faith you you pray that God would provide for them and suddenly they have a check in the mail And it covers everything. I know that sounds preposterous, but I know several people in my life personally. They needed money, told no one about it. They prayed in faith. And they get a random check in the mail or some random bonus at work. Nobody else gets a bonus. That covers everything. 
And maybe while all this is going on, while, while this faith belief cycle is beginning to build, maybe somebody else around you is watching your faith beginning to build. And God uses that to spark faith in their lives as well. And they start on this cycle, the building relationship of faith and belief. It's a powerful thing. You can kind of think about it as a snowball rolling downhill. The more ground it travels, the larger it gets, the faster it gets moving, and the more powerful it becomes. And Satan's going to be watching this going on, and he'll try and put potholes and roadblocks and barriers in your life to try and trip you up to stop you from doing the works of God. But God will use the snowballing faith and belief to blow right through anything that Satan tries to throw your way. And as you see God repel any attack of the enemy, that in turn will also build your faith and your belief. It will grow your experiential knowledge of who he is and how he fights on your behalf. And it will grow your reliance on him and your joy in him. Write this down. Have faith in God in the small things. Believe, or sorry, be obedient in the seemingly insignificant things and you will see and experience greater things. Have faith in God in the small things. Be obedient in the seemingly insignificant things and you will see and experience greater things. Turn to John chapter 1, verse 43. Yes, I do have a Bible verse for that in case you were wondering. John chapter 1, verse 43, it says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He just decided. And he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Jesus is gathering his disciples. So he found Philip and said, follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, two other disciples. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see, come and see for yourself. Come experience him. Come and listen to him speak. And so Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said to him, Because I said I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. That was the beginning of Nathaniel's faith, belief, snowball. And think of all of the things that he saw that he did over the next three years as he walked with Jesus through his ministry on earth. Have faith in God in the small things. Be obedient in the seemingly insignificant things and you will see and experience greater things. But we need to get, be careful not to get caught up in signs and wonders and miracles. The Bible says that one of the signs of the Antichrist is that he will draw people away from the church with signs and wonders. So as I said before, it's not about the miracles. It's not about the wonders. John didn't write his gospel to point to the miracles of Jesus. He wrote it to point to the miracle worker. So we're going to finish in John Chapter 6, verse 25 through 35. So turn there, but for a little bit of context. Jesus had just performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000. It was probably more than 5,000, but it doesn't matter because feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish is still a miracle. <laughs> so let's just say it's 5,000, okay? 
And so after performing that miracle, John says that Jesus withdrew to the mountain to be by himself, to be with his father. And it says that the disciples crossed the Sea of Tiberias without him, and they went to, to uh, Capernaum, which was where some of the disciples uh, lived. And on the way, they were caught in a storm. And so Jesus on the mountain sees them out in the storm, and he walks down, walks on the water, gets in the boat. And John says that as soon as Jesus got in the boat, they arrived on the shore. That's pretty awesome. And so in the morning, the, the people, whatever was left of the crowd of 5,000 or 15,000, 10,000, whatever you want to call it, whatever was left of them, they, they realized that Jesus was no longer there. He wasn't on the mountain anymore. And they knew that he didn't get in the boats with the disciples. And so they're like, well, maybe he met the disciples, you know, some other way. And so they, they got in their boats. They uh, sailed across the Sea of Tiberias to the town of Capernaum. And so this is where we pick up in verse 5. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So you went up on the mountain, Jesus. The disciples left without you. And there's no way you could have walked around in this amount of time. So how, how did you get here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And so Jesus is kind of calling out what their intentions are. He says that they were drawn to him because they had actually experienced the miracle themselves, not just seen it. And so Jesus moves on. He's like, okay, you like that, that miracle bread thing? We're going to move on to the next step. So Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So Jesus is saying, good, you like that physical bread thing? You want some more of that? We're going to move on to the next step. Start working for food that endures to eternal life. And they, people actually ask a great question. Like, okay, Jesus, if, if that's the direction we're going to go, how do we do that? How do we do the works of God? How do we get this eternal food? Jesus says, believe in me. You want to do the works of God? You want eternal food? Believe in me and I'll take it from there. Believe in me and everything else will be clear. And so the, the crowd responded when Jesus said that. They said, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. I've read that story a hundred times, and I've never found it more funny than I do right now. Like, the, the, this is so preposterous. So, I, Jesus at this point, I wonder if he got a little testy, right? So, so far, this conversation is actually going really well. So, you know, Jesus, we saw you do some amazing things. We came to find you so we can see you do more amazing things. Okay, that, that, that's good, guys. How about instead of physical food, I, I give you eternal food? Okay, I mean, that sounds, like, that sounds like a good idea, Jesus. We'll take some eternal food. I, I'm, I'm, I get on board with that program. That sounds good. Lay it on me. How do we get this eternal food? Man, you guys, you know what? That, that's a great question. Here's what you do. Believe in me. Okay, Jesus, well, if we're supposed to believe in you, then we're going to need to see a sign, some, something that kind of tells us that we really need to believe in you. So, so, guys, what should we have Jesus do? Oh, I know. 
back in the days of Moses when he was leading our people out of Israel, they were in the wilderness and they, they were pretty hungry. And so Moses gave them, gave them manna from heaven. And so you know, it says in the scriptures that he gave them bread from heaven. And so, Jesus, how about if you give us bread from heaven, then we'll believe in you. How's that sound? Now, at this point, so Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And so I wonder if in this situation, like the man part of him was just like, got this kind of like confused, uh, annoyed look on his face, probably something like the eye roll emoji, which I use quite frequently, right? <laughs> like, like in my mind, that like for a split second, Jesus goes, Because not 24 hours earlier, the exact same group of people were fed with five loaves and two fish. And so I wonder if Jesus in his human nature, I wonder if it ever crossed his mind, like, are you kidding me? Like, 5,000 people, five loaves and leftovers. Like, where do you think I got all the loaves, bro? Was I stashing them in my robe or something? Like, like where, did those, where did those loaves of bread come from? And not only that, I gave you fish. But Jesus has more grace than I do. I would have had so much fun just making fools of them. And this was the exact teaching moment that Jesus was looking for. And so Jesus' response to their preposterous proposal, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Sweet Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm still on board. Bread from heaven, I'm, I'm, I'm still tracking. This believe in you thing is kind of weird, but lay it on me. I'll take the bread from heaven. Give me the bread of God. And I think at this point, Jesus' heart broke. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread. You're looking for bread, but it's me. I'm here. You're missing it. I am the bread. I am the eternal food that will always satisfy. I am the eternal water that will produce an overflowing wellspring of life. I am the bread. You've missed it. You see, the people were drawn to Jesus because of the sign that he performed, but they were so busy looking at the sign, the physical bread, that they missed the real miracle. They missed Jesus. They missed the real glory. See, the people believed that Jesus could perform miraculous signs and wonders and heal people, but they missed Jesus himself. So you can see all the miracles in the world, but if you miss the purpose of the sign, if you miss the glory of the sign, if you miss Jesus, it will not produce a life-changing belief. The people had just seen a sign and they immediately asked for another one. It is not about the miracle. It's about Jesus. You see, everything is always about Jesus. It's always about the gospel. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus and his redemptive story of love and his glory. 
Everything in all time, past, present, and future revolves around Jesus and his glory. Romans 11.36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. See, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So listen, church, the glory that you see in believing is not the sign. The glory that you see in believing is not the miracle. The glory is Jesus. If you miss Jesus, you miss the glory. If you miss Jesus in the miracle, you miss the glory. If you miss Jesus, then no matter how many miracles you see, it will never produce a belief that changes your life. If you miss Jesus, you will always come back asking for more bread and not more of him. If you miss Jesus, you will always come back looking for bread and not more of him. And so Jesus is saying to you this morning, I am bread. It's me. I'm the bread. I want to continue in Jesus' response to the people. Again, this is John 6, 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Skip down to verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son see Jesus. See Jesus. See his glory. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, not in his miracles, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. You see, Jesus is the bread of life. Stop searching for bread that will never satisfy and water that will never quench your thirst. Look on the sun and believe. And let that belief begin to satisfy your deepest needs. Let that belief begin to change you and challenge you to increase your faith and your boldness to step out, to watch God work. To do the work of God, you see, if you believe, then you will see the glory of God. Just look to Jesus. So this week, church, I want to challenge you to look for Jesus. Look for Jesus in the miracles and in the mundane. And maybe a good way to do this is you should uh, keep a journal of all the ways that Jesus is working through you or, or in you or around you. Or ways that you stepped out in faith and saw Jesus work something amazing. And then come back to that journal and revel in everything that God has done in you and through you. And let that build your faith. Step out in bold obedience of that faith and watch God work. And as you watch God work, let that build your belief. And as your belief builds, let that grow your experiential knowledge of who he is. Let it build your reliance on him and your joy in him. Look to Jesus. 
and believe. Continue to look on the sun and you will see the glory of God in your life. You see, God can use your belief for supernatural miracles. But your belief will also renew your mind. It will change your perspective to see the glory of God in the miraculous and in the mundane. And that glory is Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, you are all that we need. Only you, Jesus. Father, forgive us for putting things other than you on the seat of supremacy in our lives. Forgive us when we're distracted, when we're not fully resting in you. Forgive us when we are looking to other people and not to you and your glory. God, may you reign supreme over everything in our lives. I pray that you would just open our eyes now to see the glory of Jesus in the miraculous and in the mundane. God, I pray that you would give us in Church 214 and and every other church in the city of Peoria and the nation and the world infusions of faith. And God, may we step out in bold obedience of that faith and watch you work. Let that grow our belief and let's watch you change the city and change the world. God, all power and all glory and all honor is yours forever and ever.